Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming out on this kind of dark and gloomy night. It's nice and warm in here, and we, we're glad you're here. I'm Judy Cooper. I'm the coordinator of public programs here at the Pratt, and as I say, we're very happy to see you all. Um, it's truly an honor um, to welcome Dorothy Bailey to Baltimore and to the Pratt Library. I spent 24 years working at the Prince George's County Library. And that's where I grew up, actually. Um, and during that time, Dorothy represented the citizens of Prince George's County on the county council for eight years. And when I read about her book, um, or when I heard about her book, In a Different Light, Reflections and Beauty of Wise Women of Color, I was not surprised. It seemed so much like a project Dorothy would undertake to search out wise women, to extract their stories, and to share their wisdom with the rest of us. We're so glad she's here tonight to bring us some of those important life lessons. Dorothy Bailey graduated from North Carolina Central University and did postgraduate work at Penn State University and the University of Maryland. She received an honorary doctorate of divinity from Riverside Baptist College and Seminary. And she serves on the board of directors for Maple Spring Baptist College and Seminary. In addition to her service on the Prince George's County Council, she has founded several community organization and organizations and remains involved with many um, local, national, and international efforts. We're so happy that you're here. Welcome. Thank you so much, Judy. It is indeed my pleasure uh, to be here and to see her again. And I had not realized it had been uh, so long since she'd left Prince George's County, but she certainly did get us off to a very good start. We believe that in Prince George's County, we have one of the best library systems in the country, in the world. Uh, one of the things she knows that I was very much involved with is uh, uh, Sojourner Pratt room a collection and uh, I was telling the group last night that it used to be a, probably about maybe not even half the size of this room but it was a place where I would go uh, because she had in that room all kind of historical documents and I would go in there and get lost and especially when my children got on my nerves, my husband got on my last good nerve and actually I became uh, an elected official when it got really hot on the council that was my place of refuge. Because very few people lock the door and pretend you didn't hear anybody else trying to get in that room. And I could just feel Sojourner and all of those people and Mary McLeod Bethune just, drench, just rinsing all over my body. And when I would leave, I would feel so much better. You know, I was then again ready to go out and to uh, greet the world. Let me thank every single person in this room for coming out because Colette, my boss, knows that I don't move in the rain. And I certainly, I told her driving over here, I realized I've never driven at night in the fog. So we'll see how this works out. I probably have lost all my nerve by now because I'm driving like this all the way over here. And I'm thinking, how did I get around without driving at night in the rain? But I am here, and to God be the glory, I am delighted to be here. But I am more delighted that you are here. I just can't believe anybody's in this room. But you make me feel so, so very special by being here and, and, and allowing me to talk about something so special to me. Uh, this project was not something that I woke up one morning and said, I'm going to write about people, old people at that. And we are indeed older individuals. But it sort of came as an assignment. I contend that each one of us, we're on this earth for a particular assignment. And nobody's assignment is like the other person's. I know people who sing exceedingly well, and I've been put out of four choirs. I can't sing a note. You know, so I know that's not my assignment. I have a sister who can cook anything, anything, and make it taste so wonderful. That's not my assignment either. My children grew up on breakfast foods. 
and because I knew how to fix pancakes. I was the best pancake maker in my whole group. And all the other children would come, want to come to my house because we had pancakes for dinner. But that was because that's what I could cook. So cooking certainly was not one of my gifts either. And so, but I believe that all of us have assignments and those assignments are within our gifts and that we have to discover what those assignments are. Seek and ye shall find, we were told. And I did exactly that. But the book came as a surprise. But when I looked back over my life, I realized I was being programmed to do something like this all of my life. I can remember in my father's household, there were, I grew up with three sisters, there were four of us. And my father had this unwritten rule that if you were reading a studying, you did not have to do any housework. I perfected that. I don't know why my other three sisters never got it. You know, they never got it. But every time they looked at me, I had a book. I was reading. And so I seldom had to do any housework, much to my husband's surprise to this very day. And so I had a passion for reading all of my life. My assignment, being programmed for this particular assignment. When I was 12 years old, we lived, we lived in North Carolina, a small community, and I lived next to my Aunt Esther, who always just thought I was just horrible because I was sitting around reading all the time. So finally, my Aunt Esther found a job for me at her workplace. Have you seen the help? Then you know what I mean by her workplace. And so she said, all right, my mother's name was Helen. It's time for that gal to get some kind of a job around here, do something other than reading all the time. So she got me a job as a babysitter. And I went the very first day. And I walked into this house of her work people. And they had a library just like the one in here. Books everywhere. I had died, and you, you know what happened, don't you? I had died and gone completely to heaven. I had never seen those, that many books in my life, my assignment. So what do I do? I start reading. I just sat down and picked out a book and started reading it. I was just, oh, I could not believe you would have that many books in a household. And I heard this baby crying, but it didn't bother me. I'm reading, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm waiting to be called a summons or something. Probably not, I was just into the book. And finally, the lady of the house came out and she said, did you hear the, that baby, the baby crying? I said, yes, did you? I lost that job. But again, my assignment was about reading, learning to read, passionate about reading, being in that position, and having jobs where I had to read a lot. I loved to explore and to discover. Of course, we didn't have very much money, but I went all kinds of places to reading. I mean, I just knew about everything, you know, there was I could put my hands on. I loved to read. My assignment, and still this book was a surprise. Riding with my grandson, Ivan, who was four. They live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania, in Dutch country. Dutch country is so beautiful, incredibly beautiful. And riding down this highway, Ivan was looking at the trees because he loves to look at trees, and so was I. And I was thanking God that I had lived this long. I was just thanking God that I had an opportunity to visit my grandson and that I could just take him for a ride because I didn't learn to drive until very late. And I, I was in the midst of my prayers when all at once in the car seat in the back, Ivan stops what he's doing and says, Grandma! Yes. Yes, Ivan. Are you 100? No, Ivan, I'm not 100 years old. Well, are you 50? No, but I'd like to be again. Ivan, end of conversation. Ivan goes back to looking out the window. I'm wondering, why did he say that? Do I look that old? What's wrong? Why did he ask me if I'm 100? Never given any thought that Ivan was four and, and ADHD, and why, you know, he could ask me for any reason. <laughs> but now I'm stuck on it. So I get back to the house, drop Ivan out, pick up a pencil and a piece of paper, and I said, how old am I? I know I'm in my 60s, but is it 65, 66? I wrote down the year I was born in 19. I never forget the year I was born. I was born in 19. Mm -hmm. 
And this year is, oh my gosh, in about three more years, I will be 70 years old. And the significant part of that was that every year as an elected official, I had hosted an event called Three Score Plus Ten. And then suddenly I realized I am as old as those women I've been celebrating, that I am now one of those women. And so I got to thinking, who were they? Who did I honor? Who were some of my, who are some of my friends who are already 70? Because we celebrated birthdays, but we never focused on the age, just a celebration. And I got to thinking, now Hilda's my best friend. How old is she? You know, and I started pointing out different people that I've known for a while. Well, no, she's not 50. She's only. Finally, I decided. I do know some folk who are already 70, who are already 80, who are already 90. And I tell everybody, I went in search of myself through the lives of some incredible, incredible women. I wanted to hear from them. How were they spending these latter days, this autumn of their lives? What are they doing? What are their joys? What successes did they have? Who do they honor? Who do they still respect? You know, I wanted to know things about them. And folk, a couple of people said, well, you don't talk about any degrees. I said, no, that's not important in this particular context because your degrees are going to be in your obituary. Such and such a person had blank number of degrees. That's your obituary. But your thoughts, your wisdom, what gives you the stamina at 75 or 85 to still get up and be glorified in being alive. What is it? That's what I was looking for. And boy, did I have a wonderful time. I met some of the most incredible women you would ever want to see. So in a different life, it's not about Dorothy Bailey, but it's about celebrating and honoring some of the most amazing women that you'd ever want to see any place. I could have done a thousand more, but Colette, my boss, kept saying, you can't keep adding women. We're, at some point, we have to stop and get this publication published. But I, everywhere I would go, I would just see, and people would tell me about people, and I would run into them and meet them, and they were, it was just amazing. Gwendolyn Brooks writes, writes, sisters, where there is cold silence, no hallelujahs, no hoorays at all, and no handshakes, no neon red or blue, no smiling faces prevail. O ye daughters of Africa, awake, 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 arise. No longer sleep nor slumber, but distinguish yourselves. That was written by Maria Stewart in 1835. Distinguish yourselves. So what was I attempting to do? To show, to distinguish some incredible women. Another part in my assignment is that in 19, you remember the book, I Dream a World? I remember seeing that book and loving it and thinking it was just absolutely wonderful. I did a lot of work with Dorothy Height. And of course, she was in the book, and we had to memorize what page she was on. And uh, so I have two of those books, and I just love it. I thought it was wonderful. But I remember the thought occurring to me even back then. The author of this book is white, and he did an amazing job. The photographs are beautiful. The writing is wonderful. But would it, would it have taken a different tone if the author had been someone African-American? And so again, my assignment, step by step, I was being set, being set up for this opportunity to meet amazing women and to write about them. Uh, I met Chaplain Black during this process, and he is the uh, chaplain for the United States Senate, and he thought it was a wonderful idea. He said, but you know, Dorothy, is there a connecting thought? And I said, I didn't have a connecting thought. I was just trying to talk to some women. And he said, no, there should be a connecting theme. And he suggested that I ask every woman, if I knew then what I know now, and ask them to finish the sentence, I would. Boy, was that revealing. Oh, I had such a great time. And there were some women who would say, oh, nothing came to mind. I said, not true. 
The minute that statement is given, some of you have finished it right now. I know you have. If I knew then what I know now, I would. And the minute he said it to me, I certainly had a thought. I will not share it with you. And some of the women did that. They shared their thoughts, but told me I could not put it in, in print. You know, so we had some amazing interests. And a lot of it we did use. We actually did use it. And then I am a member of the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. And every year there is a theme that we pick. Like this year's the theme was Civil War. And I bet you if I ask you how many of you in your churches and your organization have Black History Month programs, everybody in this room probably would raise your hand. If I ask you how many of you had the theme Civil War, I doubt very seriously there would be any hands raised. Because for some reason, we don't do, as the SALA members, a good job on communicating the theme. My church had a wonderful Black History Month program, but it had nothing to do with this year's theme. Next year's theme is African American women, history, and culture. So remember that as you're preparing your Black History Month programs. It is about African American women, their history, and their culture. This book is right on time for that because we are celebrating, honoring, recognizing amazing women, and especially most of these women are from the state of Maryland. We also have a theme this year in Asala that says, if we don't tell them, the world will never know. And I have added, if we don't show them, the world will never see. If we don't tell them how amazing you are, how incredible you are, how beautiful you are, how wise you are, how courageous you are, the tenacity that you have, the world will never know. And so it is my honor to have been able, given the assignment, to talk with more than 100 women over 70 and above and to spend time with them. It was just a magnificent experience. Now keep in mind that all of us were born before television was in every household. You know, most of you now have televisions, not just one in every household, but count them, one, two, three, four, five. We were born before that. I remember in my community, there was one television for probably about five or six blocks. And on Thursday night, we were all in this one lady's house. She was one of the teachers in the community, and we would all show up and take turns sitting in front of her television. We were born before then. We were born before refrigerators. The ice man used to have to come around my house. And we got that block of ice and put it in the ice box. We were born long before cell phones. Long before cell phones. And computers were probably just a fleeting thought. But I have to tell you, that while we don't talk about degrees, the majority of these women do have them. 20 some of these women have PhDs, but you won't see anything about that. And those who do not have degrees in service, degrees in love, degrees in families, these women held communities together. They put children through college, not just their own. Now we struggle to get our own children through college. But I can remember when I went, Miss Ada, every time I came home, she had something for me. It was 10 cents, 10 cents, every time she saw me. Girl, we so proud of you, and would give me that 10 cents. It was like $100. I can't tell you what I did with it, because my roommate got $2 every two weeks. She was rich. I and my parents put me there, and I ain't get no money. So when I got that 10 cents from Miss Ada, it was wonderful. I would keep it. Somebody said, do you want to start smoking? No, indeed. I'm not spending my, I never did smoke. Ten cents of my money, my big money that Miss Ada gave me, I was going to spend it on cigarettes. Oh, no way. But that's who we were. I asked recently at the book festival here in Baltimore. We had four of the ladies tonight. We have one. But I asked them to talk about something that they did as children that people never consider having to do anymore. And my example was sweeping the yard. Yeah. People said, what? My children even said, mom, why would you sweep a yard? 
because we had no grass. And it was an art. You had to make it look pretty. All the lines had to go the right way. That's who we were. Born 1940 and before. And so I had a great time meeting and talking with all of these women. Just absolutely, and you will hear me say over and over, incredible women. We are saluting and celebrating old values and old ways. Women who were taught long time ago, an empty wagon keeps a lot of noise, you know. And they, my teachers used to tell me that all the time because I loved to talk and I hated that one. Dorothy the Thompson in wagon keeps a lot of noise. Well, I'm not an empty wagon. But you talk all the time, so you're not saying anything. Or pretty is as. Who knows the end of that one? Nobody in here knows it. Pretty is as pretty does. Yes. That's what we grew up on. And then there was Miss Carver, my eighth grade teacher, who was so sure that at any moment any of us were going to get pregnant, she would always say, what you do in the dark is going to show up in the light. So a lot of us were good a long, long time because we didn't want it showing up in the light. You know? I mean, they taught of us this, not in saying, I'm going to teach you something, but it was just a part of what they said and what they did every single day. You heard these things. They were embedded in you. A dog that will bring a bomb will carry it. Well, what does that mean? Gossiping, leave it alone. But it was embedded in the lesson plan. Try that now. <laughs> It was embedded in the lesson plan. It was part of what we got every single day. And so I responded to my dream, to my assignment of writing about some amazing women. And I want you to meet a few of them in, my, in the book. There's a lady named Shirley Jackson. And Shirley is one of the ladies with a, a PhD. But we don't talk about it. And I mention it sometimes. But Shirley travels all the time. Every time we look for Shirley, she's uh, uh, part of Asala. And when we get ready to have a meeting, she is someplace, someplace, going someplace. And so when I asked her, when I interviewed her, she said, the world is a book, and those who do not travel read only a page. She didn't create that, but it's something, it was a phrase that she likes, and she quotes it all the time. Can't see with those glasses either. I've traveled often whenever and wherever I decide I wanted to go. Yet my trip to Peru and Ecuador was more than a vacation. It was truly an expedition, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. While there, I traveled by train, bus, and dingy. I climbed mountains and more mountains. In Ecuador, I stood with both feet on both sides of the equator. All in all, I'm so grateful to have had these experiences. God allowed me to go to the mountaintop and see his glory, and all on display. I am convinced, however, that these trips should be done before the age of 50. <laughs> I never want to climb another mountain and look forward to my next luxury cruise. Yes, that is my kind of lifestyle at this point in time in my life. Shirley Jackson is just an incredibly beautiful lady. And you can see the photography in this book is just Shirley has been blessed to be able to travel and go any place she wants to go. Another lady that uh, in the book uh, is Miss Willa Bland. Miss Willa Bland is here, and all of you know her, just an incredible lady. And when I went to meet her, she hardly had time to talk with me. She is still busy, just busy, doing everything, saving lives. And last week, I was at one of the churches. And I was talking about Martin Luther King. And I talked about how Ms. Bland uh, was inspired through Dr. Martin Luther King to continue her work of service. And you're going to hear from her later. But I do want you to see her photograph. It is just beautiful. And you really must buy the book just to get this <laughs> Just a beautiful lady. You're going to hear from her in just a few minutes. These women were just, I mean, it was just something. I, we had photo sessions. And sometimes we would have five or seven women at one time. The photo sessions became what we grew up on, old-fashioned house parties, because some of the people who came to be photographed at 8 o'clock, they were still there at 3, talking and having an old-fashioned house party. 
one of the ladies was in, in a group, and she realized, I think, that all of the women, other women were college educated. And so I believe she was a little intimidated when I started to interview her. She's a member of my church and just a beautiful lady. And she just, she just, I couldn't get her to talk. I mean, she just said, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, you asked me to come and, and I, I let you photograph me, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to talk. I can't, I don't want to answer your questions. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. And finally she said, Dorothy, I'm just tired. I'm, I'm, I'm just really tired. I spent the whole day canning. And my young photographer and my young makeup artist turned and looked at me. You know why? They had no idea what canning was. And so you know what's under Miss Gray's beautiful picture? I learned canning from my mother, who learned canning from her mother. It gives the reader an opportunity to explain to someone else what canning is. And if you're following, canning is now becoming very popular again. Yeah, everywhere you turn, you know, somebody's talking about canning and preserving food. I see a few blank stairs even in here. What's she talking about, canning? But it was a way of preserving food. My mother did it, and again, that's not one of my skills, so I didn't learn that one. Christine Jones, who was the very first African-American uh, delegate in, in, from Prince George's County to go to Annapolis, just a beautiful lady. And I've known her for a long time, but we never had talked, we, we talked mostly about politics. But I was surprised when she said, my mother was the launching pad for my success. From her, I learned to see the light without being blinded by it. I think that's just wonderful. From my mother, I learned to be humble and compassionate, set goals, stay focused, dream and have visions. Today's vision is tomorrow's reality. What was surprising is that uh, Christine never really talked about her family. I got to know her basically in the political arena. But to hear where she got her substance from, which is where so many of us got it from. The very first lady I interviewed was a lady named Miss Leonard. Miss Leonard was about 80, she was 89 and just petite, just like Miss Blanche, very, very petite lady. And in the middle of the photo session, she started laughing, just, just laughing. But to the point that the photographer was having difficulty taking her picture. And I kept thinking, mm, I'm paying this photographer by the hour. Now, come on. Now, we, we got to get this session over with. But she couldn't stop laughing. And I said, well, would you please just tell me what's so funny? She said, I can't tell you. If I tell you, you're going to put it in that book. I said, no. Just tell me. I promise I won't put it in the book. So she said, well, you know. I was the only girl in my family. And one day, my mother said, it's time for us to have our little girl talk. And she took me into the bedroom. And she said, now, Ruth, I'm going to tell you. I want you to remember one thing. You're getting older now. I want you to keep those panties up and that skirt down. Ruth said that was the end of the girl talk. But what made her laugh was that for two days, she could not figure out how to go to the bathroom. And so when she told me the story, I kept thinking, you still hear that now, but don't you know that your mother's voice never leaves you? That you will hear it until the day you die. You know, or that significant person who groomed you, who helped you, who sustained you. So it should, have not, should not have been a surprise to me that, uh, that Christine Jones talked about how important uh, her mother was in her life, and a lot of the women did that. There's another lady from Baltimore named Ollie Miller Phillips. I don't know if anyone knows her, but I was hoping we'd be able to get her out. But we didn't, weren't, we were not able to get her to come tonight. Now, Miss Phillips is now uh, 102, but she was 100 when I went to talk with her, and uh, I always get lost. Like even tonight, driving in the dark. I thank God that I got here without getting lost, but I always get lost. Uh, you can see there are a lot of skills I don't have, driving and in directions. That's another one of them. When I was working, my secretary always put in an hour of lost time. They called it Lost DB, Lost Dorothy Bailey. But uh, I just knew it was 104 degrees and it was hot. And someone had told me about this beautiful lady who lived in Baltimore. And I got to thinking, why did I agree to come this day? This is the hottest day of the year. 
and here I am going to talk to some lady who's 100 years old. She probably can't hear. And I'm walking up the steps just complaining, fussing, angry, attitude. And just as I get to the top of the steps, this beautiful lady opens the door. Eyebrows arched to a T. Every strand of hair in place. Heels and a St. John suit to die for. Are you Miss Bailey? And I thought, oh gosh, are you Miss Ollie? Miss Ollie is incredibly beautiful. And I did not, I usually, I was handwriting everything. I didn't use, did not want to use a tape recorder because I wanted them to talk so that I could hear and understand. But with Miss Ollie, I never wrote a word because I didn't want her to see my fingernails. And then the minute I left, I got in the car and I said, could somebody tell me how you go about getting your eyebrows arched? <laughs> Miss Ollie was just wonderful. And I spent almost the whole day. I had planned just to be there for 20 minutes, but I could not leave. Her knowledge, her wisdom, her beauty. The other thing about Miss Ollie is that I had tried to get one of the women to show skin. You know, I just, you know, something low cut. You know, I had a lot of women in a lot of different outfits. But I realized that I didn't have anyone, sh anyone showing any skin. Miss Ollie said, oh, take it off, you know. <laughs> and on one of her other photographs, you'll see in here, she's draped in her mink and all this is showing. Miss Ollie had no problems whatsoever. Let me read to you what, what Miss Ollie said. I mean, she was magnificent. Sometimes, Miss Ollie said, I refer to myself as a Jack Daniels drinking, poker playing Christian. How do you like that one? I couldn't resist putting that one in the, in the book. I said, oh, my pastor's going to be upset with me, but that's all right. I didn't say it. She did. There's so many things I enjoy, yet without a doubt, prayer is and has always been my number one priority. I was married twice to two wonderful men who adored me. I like that line, too, in my next life. My first husband and I were married for 41 years. After he died, my friends were constantly introducing me to eligible men. I remember telling one gentleman as he was pursuing me, I have a little house, I have a little money, I have a little car, and I'm a little satisfied. I'm not looking for no husband. <laughs> I learned a long time ago to be thankful for what you have and don't worry about what you don't have. I never saw anyone I was jealous of. They have what they have, and so do I. They do what they do, and so do I. You know, that's a statement I could not make. Now, I've seen people I've been jealous of. But I believed her. The way she said it, the way her life has been, there was no reason for Miss Ollie to be jealous. And I want to show you Miss Ollie's picture. And you have to get a book so you can see that close. Miss Ollie is absolutely fabulous. She just stopped traveling by herself. And her daughters would say to her when she was 99, I said, Mama, you have to stop traveling by yourself all over the country. And she said, her daughter said, suppose you die in the airport. She said, then I'll just be dead. <laughs> You'll have to come and get me. <laughs> fast lady, fast lady, that's what she was. But I had a, I had a wonderful time. Then there's another lady, uh, Eva Anderson. She's from uh, Columbia. Some of you probably know Miss Anderson and just incredibly beautiful. I was not with the photographer when they uh, did her photograph, but the minute I saw it, because I love earrings and I love, and the, I saw the photograph and I called her and I said, uh, Miss Anderson, how long have you had those earrings? <laughs> she said, oh, baby, I've had them a long time. I said, could I have them? She said, no, thank you. <laughs> beautiful lady, just look at just incredibly beautiful. That is all the book is about. Sharing the beauty, the wisdom, the strength, the tenacity of just some amazing women who are not always celebrated, who are not always honored. Yes, I dream the world was wonderful, but most of those women were women that people knew all over the world. In every community throughout this country, there are women doing magnificent things every single day. And that's what we wanted to celebrate. We wanted to show you their beauty and what they have to say about themselves. There was a lady I interviewed in Montgomery County, and she used a line I will never forget. She was talking about her grandchildren. And then she said, just out of nowhere, Judy, she said, if you think my grandchildren are wonderful, 
you should meet that awesome parents. I love that statement. I said, ooh, I'm going to start using that talking about my children. But she, I mean, those were the kinds of joys that I got. I was in Berlin, Maryland, and I met this lady. Oh, I have to show you this service because if you are, have ever been south of your grandparents know anybody who lived in the south, everybody who grew up in the south had a teacher like Miss Sturgis. Uh, Paulette, I wish I could think of that page real quick. But Miss Sturgis was a beautiful lady, and she is a beautiful lady. She came into the, uh, the photo session with her gloves, and uh, she was just so fast and so, so, there's so much spunk about Miss Sturgis. But when you look at Miss Sturgis's picture, if you grew up in, during the 40s and went to school in the south, you absolutely had a teacher that looked exactly like the service. And I can remember that I interviewed her, spent the day with her, but it was not until I actually looked at her photograph that I literally started laughing. I need to stand over here. Okay. It wasn't until after I uh, looked at her photograph and I thought about it and I, and I just literally started to cry. It was just so beautiful. What page is that, Colette? You know? <laughs> 33. Because I do want to share Miss Sturgis with you because you, some of you will know exactly what I mean. Uh, some of you young folk, you've never probably never seen a teacher like Miss Sturgis. But uh, we all had teachers like Miss Sturgis. You couldn't do anything that they didn't know about. They knew what you thought before you thought it. Miss Sturgis. Uh-huh. Yeah, you've seen Miss Sturgis. Miss Sturgis was stern, stern, let me tell you. One of the things she did, we were talking, I was telling her how much I love going to Ocean City. And she said, I don't go to Ocean City. You live, what, less than 20 miles from Ocean City? And you don't go to Ocean City? She said, no. Because I remember, I remember, and I will never forget, her voice started to tremble in this year, remembering that she could only go to Ocean City once a year, and that was on colored days. She remembered that. And she said she was a, te she was a teacher. And they st after she was teaching for a while, they would have conferences in Ocean City. She would tell the principal, I'm not going. Now, I had a similar experience because I'm from North Carolina, and I always heard about Hilton Head. And we, at the time I was growing up, African Americans were not allowed at Hilton Head. So I was working for a former governor with him, uh, Paris Glendening, and there was a conference in Hilton Head. And I told my boss, I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to Hilton Head because I can remember when African Americans could not go to Hilton Head. My boss, who was also a very good friend, said, Dorothy B, let's stop that foolishness. Pack your clothes and go to Hilton Head. Well, I got to Hilton Head. I had a suite. <laughs> I, you know, my, my stuff just went out. I wasn't a Miss Sturgis. You know, the room was wonderful. I had room service. I mean, anytime anybody wanted to send me to Hilton Head, I'm ready to go. But Miss Sturgis never forgot. She never forgot, you know. And she was just, she's just an incredibly beautiful woman. And then my daughter, who knows about this, she married someone from that community, Berlin, wanted to have a book signing in Berlin. And I said, I don't want to go there. I've seen, I passed there. There are no people in Berlin. I mean, come on. You know, I want to do my churches. You know, I'm a member of an AMA church, and we have all these large mega churches in Prince George's County. I want to sell books. She said, Mom, I'm, you're going to Berlin. And when I got to Berlin, the entire community came out to celebrate Miss Sturgis because she had touched so many lives in that community. She knew everybody. When she stood up to talk, she could tell me every single person in that room and tell me a story about someone. I mentioned, and I'm going to close as I before, because I do want you to meet uh, one of the wisdom. And we call the women wisdom carriers. Julianne Malveaux, who is the president of Bennett College, is a longtime friend. And she also writes the foreword in the book. And Julianne writes, the Senegalese proverb, when an old person dies, a library burns to the ground, reminds me of the wisdom that each elder carries within her. Each one of us, there is wisdom. And that resonates with so many people. It's true. When, a, when an elder dies, a library literally burns to the ground.
And that's why it's important that you share, that you ask the questions. Who is, that, who is the oldest person in your family? I have discovered that I am the second oldest person in my family now. So at the family reunion, not only do I get to sit at the head of the table, which I'm real happy about because you get to eat first, but I also have an opportunity to listen to the young people and share with them the little bits and pieces that I know, the wisdom. And so again, that is what this book is about. I am closing with my piece to share with you the lady I just talked about, Mayor Godfrey, who was my boss in county government and who said that I had to go to uh, Hilton Head, and I'm so glad that she did. Mary writes, knowledge is learned and life has taught me much. Things I felt so passionately about in my young life matter so little now. Looking back, I smile at how serious I thought everything was. Promotions, new cars, a bigger house, a thinner body, being well-liked, being recognized, having stylish clothes, having smart, mannerly children, and having an attentive husband. These were important then. Now my list of passions include faith, love, friendship, and caring for others. As we age, the list of passions grows shorter. What remains on the list, however, has been tested by the heat of life's journey and endures like pure gold. That's what the women shared with me, wisdom carriers. I would pray and hope that you will be able to carry this message about these incredible wisdom carriers in this book and wisdom carriers in your lives. I tell everybody, if that lady who could see Russia from her backyard and wanted to be your president can sell a million copies before it's even published, surely you can help spread the word about wisdom carriers and the beauty of African-American women. Thank you so very much. And now I want you to meet one of the wisdom carriers. Ah, many of you already know her. Just incredibly beautiful lady. Miss Willa Bland, let me have you come up. I know that you're watching the here, but we, we really do want her to come up. And maybe we can share here. Let's see if you can stand up here. Okay. Help me to thank Miss Bland for being a part of this. Come on. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to just let her say anything that she has to, but I but I'm going to ask her a few questions uh, at the very beginning. Where are you going? <laughs> Talk a little bit about you told me about uh, why you started uh, the dance troupe, I mean, the, uh, dancing and teaching dancing. And I'm sure almost everybody here has heard the story again. But for the record, could you, could you, would you share it with us? Am I that? <laughs> First of all, thank you so much for your presence here tonight. And may we please honor Ms. Dorothy Bailey, with a big round of applause for her wisdom and um, the joy that she has brought to so many people, to all of us. When I was um, selected to be in this book, and I, I said, huh? <laughs> um, a little bit about um, how we got started. We started our dance studio the year Dr. Martin Luther King was killed. And um, of course, we started this in honor of his life. My girlfriend and I, um, she was a model. And I studied modeling. I never intended to be a model, but it was interesting. and. It was at a time when um, we were really beginning to understand who we are. And we knew 
the path that we had taken. And Dr. King, of course, um, made us know to the depth of our being how important it is to um, know who we are and to share what we know. So my girlfriend and I um, studied modeling, and then we um, um, just took all the furniture out of her dining room and said, y'all come. <laughs> so we sat there that Saturday morning, and um, no one came. We had written all this stuff out, and we said, we are in free. We did all that work, and nobody came. After a while, a lady came. She had a car. Her father was a principal. With her two children, she came. So my girlfriend and I sat there, and we said, okay, what do we do now? <laughs> <laughs> okay. But then, a little bit later that afternoon, another lady, she came on, she came on the bus. And she said, um, you know, you're here, and I'm here. I'm 60-some years old. I'm coming back next week, and I'm going to bring my daughter with me. So there we were. We had two preteens and two a um, little more mature. May I pause just a moment? I want my uh, relative Peggy Johnson to stand up over there. Peggy, please stand. And you know why I want Peggy to stand? Uh, because, um, well, she's a nurse, but then she went into um, working with uh, computers, getting back to computers. Now, she just got another degree. Peggy just got a degree in, is it computer science, Peggy? Help me out. A master's degree in information technology at age, can I say, 70? <laughs> now, now, wait a minute. I was, so you talk about women of beauty, brains. I was at the uh, graduation, and... Um, after everyone received their degrees, you know, the undergrads and whoever all they were, um, doctor, who's, who's out at your school? How? Well, we all know. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, uh, as people were beginning to, to leave, he said, no, I want Peggy Johnson to stand again. And everybody was on their way out. She stood, and he said, you know what? We want you to stay here at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. We want you to get your doctorate. Is that what he said, Peggy? And you don't have to pay a dime. <laughs> he, said, he, said, he said, if you stay here, he said, if you stay here and get your doctorate, you know, no money. So I just saw her sitting over there. She always wears a tam. <laughs> Um, and you talk about wise women of beauty. I mean, does she look like she's about 34 or something? <laughs> so, well, let me hurry on. Um, I um, was in a beauty contest one time. What was I doing in a beauty contest? I have no idea. But they were offering as the first prize a television set. Nobody in my neighborhood owned a television set. So I went up to the theater on Pennsylvania and whatever that other, North Avenue. And to my surprise, I won a television set. I won first prize. I was a beauty or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but after that, had this television set and I put it on my front Stoop, I guess they called it in those days, so that the whole neighborhood could come and watch because I was the only one forever around who owned a television set. Now, later, I'm going to get back to, to all of our flair, beautiful people here, 
But later on, I um, started the Miss Baltimore pageant because um, there was always the Miss America pageant, and everybody, every hamlet in Maryland had a representative but Baltimore. Because in Baltimore, these were the African Americans and they weren't in any Miss America pageant. So I said, you know what? We ought to be able to do that. We can do that. So I started the Miss Baltimore Scholarship Pageant. And um, pretty soon we were up there in um, um, Atlantic City with everyone else. But um, my life has been a very beautiful life. It's been a life of um, facing challenges. And as I was listening to you, I remember the day you came to our studio and the children were dancing and they were carrying on, but very orderly. And your husband sat there beside you. And um, I remembered the feeling between the two of you. He didn't say very much. You had you said a lot, <laughs> but but that 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 glow of joy and love that was right there at our studio, and and I really really truly appreciated that. But um, I've done many other things as well, but um, we truly loved having a part in that Miss uh, Maryland pageant because, again, we were able to bring our community into the larger community. Now, um, I'm going to ask my um, Flair family to stand also in just a moment. And I see our friend over here who came um, through Flair. And um, of course, we've touched many, 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 many lives. Um, my daughter, Diane, is not here tonight because she had another assignment. But Diane, uh, Colette, I think Colette came and said, you gotta, gotta do this. Diane helped to edit the book, is that correct? And she, she is a writer. Uh, she lives in Columbia. And um, every week she writes um, a column for the paper. At, at one time, um, she was the feature editor with 17 writers under her. And she speaks I don't know how many languages. So, um, so, but she's not here tonight because she had another assignment. But I'm going to ask... Um, my other Flair family members, if they will stand, please. All of you. All of you. All right. Kath, Kath, Catherine, Catherine, my family. 